ago, before the event begins, um, I get a glimpse that the Denver Fair is coming to town. It begins with big, massive tents being set up in the park that's just a block down the street from my house. And nothing really else happens other than there's just a bunch of tents for a week. But then by the next week, um, you start to see these big, heavy power cables being run all over and strung all over the park. And, and uh, by that weekend, there's, there's loads of volunteers and they're moving tables everywhere and they're mounting lights to the poles inside the tents and they're spray painting out lines for the different booths to be set up. And, uh, and then comes the craziness of Monday because on Monday is when all the animals show up and all the, everything that you've grown for the year and you have it all displayed and all the, the projects and the work that people have done. They're all coming there to drop all this stuff up. And all of these things are happening just so the fair can occur. And we get a front row seat to all of that living one block down the street from the park. And as I thought about that, I realized, you know, there's events in our lives are much like that. You know, things don't happen in isolation that are not connected to other things in our lives. Uh, you know, think for a moment with me about the, the arena of finances. If someone gets themselves into deep financial trouble, you know, we have a house across the street from us that's uh, going into foreclosure right now. And uh, someone who gets to the point where they can't pay their mortgage, that wasn't just something that they woke up one morning and realized, oh man, I can't pay my mortgage this month. What is it? No. No, it's a series of choices and decisions that starts way back here with maybe they've gotten themselves in over their heads financially or maybe they made some decisions and they spent some money and they, um, they did some things that they really shouldn't have done or they bought something and it didn't work and they had to replace it quickly and now they still have the debt for that. And so there's a series of decisions and choices that they make that lead them to the place where these have set the stage for this to happen in their lives. It happens to us in relationships, doesn't it? Maybe you can think as I'm talking right now of someone who at one point in time you were close to that person, but now you're no longer close to that person. It didn't just happen overnight. I mean, there was probably a time in your life when you can remember we used to do things together and, and we used to spend time together and we really enjoyed one another and, and we had this deep, meaningful connection, but now we're not. And what happened? And what happened was a series of events that set the stage of, of, of not interacting with one another for a period of time. And then maybe there's a conflict or two that doesn't get resolved and it's underneath the surface. And when you think about going and seeing that person, you're like, oh, but that thing, you know, that we didn't take care of. And you're like, I don't really want to go there. And, and you just start move further and further away. And those events set the stage for being at that place in your journey. It's like that with sin in our lives. You know, someone doesn't just wake up one morning and decide to embezzle money. Someone doesn't just wake up and decide, I'm going to have an affair or damage someone's property or get, get caught driving drunk or get themselves arrested. It's a series of choices and decisions that starts in their mind, it starts in their thoughts, and then it begins to be little actions that set the stage for them to find themselves in a place where they say, how did I ever get here? And this is not where I want to be. Well, this morning we're going to look at a series of events that set the stage for this study that we're going to be doing this fall. And we're going to be doing a study this fall entitled Sitting at the Feet of Jesus. And the study is based on the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know what you know about the Sermon on the Mount, but the Sermon on the Mount is one of those sections in the Bible that is considered um, one, of the, one of the most memorable or most significant parts of the Bible. Things like Psalm 23 and the Ten Commandments. It kind of fits along that, the Lord's Prayer. It kind of fits along that line. The Sermon on the Mount is one of those, is one of those things one of those parts of the Bible. And so we're going to spend time looking at this. But I thought before we look at the Sermon on the Mount, 
And to properly understand it, which is a little bit of a challenge, we need to understand some of the events that take place before the Sermon on the Mount occurs. And they will set the stage for what is going to take place. If you have a Bible, if you would turn to Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers have some, and then pass one of those out to you. We'd love to have you follow along. Um, The passage, the page in the Bibles that they're handing out is page 958. Page 958. If you don't have a Bible... um, Feel free to take this one home with you and read along the things that we're going to talk about this morning. But Matthew chapter 4 is where we're going to be, page 958. And I'd like to read through the passage, and then we're going to spend some time talking about how Jesus sets the stage for this most significant sermon that he's going to present. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in the boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets, and Jesus called to them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possession, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee and Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. If you go back to verse 17, it begins by saying, now at this time, or from that time, excuse me, from that time in this translation, what was happening at this time? What was happening at this time? Well, a few things were happening at this time. If you have your Bibles open, you can look back in in Matthew chapter 3. There's an event that happens where Jesus is there at the seashore and probably along the Sea of Galilee, and John the Baptist is baptizing individuals who are choosing to follow him. And, and the Bible tells us that Jesus went down to be baptized, and a voice came from heaven and said, This is my Son, whom I'm thrilled with. As I talked about last week, Jesus hadn't done anything yet, and the Father is thrilled with him. Um, so Jesus is recognized by the Father, and then he goes and he spends 40 days in the wilderness. 40 days by himself, 40 days without food. At the end of that 40 days, he's tempted by Satan, tempted physically, tempted emotionally, tempted spiritually to take power from Satan that he really did not have the authority to distribute. And so Jesus faces that temptation. And then one other event happens. Jesus' close friend, John the baptizer, the one who baptized, um, he had been preaching this message of repentance. And he had confronted Herod, who was the ruling king, in that region set up by the Roman government. Um, Herod wasn't too thrilled with being confronted, and he was put in prison, and eventually, later, John the Baptist was beheaded. And so these are the events that are taking place um, before Jesus starts preaching, before he announces who he is and what he's doing. He's recognized by God. He is faced with temptations, and he defeats those temptations, and then his close friend ends up in prison because of a very similar message that he's about 
to proclaim. And so in the midst of all of that, Jesus preaches this message. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And this is one of those kinds of messages that you would expect to hear in New York City over a loudspeaker like this, you know, kind of crackling with some guy on the corner with this little boom box, you know. Or maybe he's got a big sign up there that says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's not, it's not really a message that we generally hear today. But I think the people of Israel only really listened and heard the second half of the message. You know, it's kind of like, parents, if you tell your kids, <clears throat> excuse me, if you tell your kids when you get your jobs done, we'll have ice cream, and all they heard was the we'll have ice cream. So they, oh, we can have ice cream. Let's get ice cream. How much ice cream can we have? And what flavors do we have? And can we get the ice cream right now? They never heard the part where you said there's some jobs to be done. All they heard was we're going to get ice cream. That's all they heard. You know? And it's a little bit like that with the people of Israel because I don't think they heard the word repent. I don't think they heard that word at all. You see, the word repent is not a word that we use very often. The word repent does not mean to say you're sorry. The word repent does not mean to apologize. The word repent does not mean to show a lot of emotion. Those things may happen. The word repent simply means you are going one direction to Lancaster, and you realize, oh, I'm supposed to be going to Reading, and you turn around and go the opposite direction. That's what the word repent means. Repent is a word that describes action. Word that describes, is there emotion with it? Sometimes, yeah, I'm pounding the steering wheel. Why did I miss that exit? You know, why wasn't I paying attention? You know, but the word repent at its essence means I turn and go the other direction. You say, well, why do you think the people of Israel were not listening to this message? Well, if you read the rest of the story of Jesus in the Gospels, you realize they really weren't paying attention to this message. They really weren't paying attention. But Jesus goes on to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And, and he uses this phrase, kingdom of heaven. There's another phrase used in the Bible, kingdom of God. So this kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, probably referring to pretty much the same thing. In the book of Matthew that was written to the Jewish people, he uses the phrase kingdom of heaven because it's something that was used over and over and in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel were told that there was going to one day be a Messiah. There was going to one day be a king. And God's kingdom in heaven would come down to this earth and they would experience that kingdom. And when that happened, it talked about the deserts being turned into plush lands. It talked about the, the dry areas being turned into luscious rivers. It talked about topographical change. It basically said the world as we know it is going to go back to what it was at the very beginning when the kingdom of heaven arrives on earth. You read Isaiah 40. It's the message of the prophet calling out about the kingdom of heaven and the king arriving on earth. And he says there, he says, the kingdom of heaven is near. He doesn't say it's here. He says it's near. What do you mean? What, what does it mean the kingdom of heaven is near? It's mean it's close, but they haven't fully experienced it yet. It's kind of like if you get a phone call and then you, you pick up the phone call and this individual says, congratulations, you know, you have just earned a two-night, three-day stay at the newest vacation resort on the East Coast with all the... With, you know, with a water park and with beautiful rooms. And, and um, all you have to do is give us your credit card. We have a date waiting for you. And you can pick up one of these three options. And for $99, this opportunity will be yours. And what do you have to do to take, to receive that opportunity? What do you have to do to that person on the phone? Call, on the phone? You simply have to say what? Yes, right? You have to accept it. 
they're offering something to you. It's near. It's close. All you have to do is accept it, and you will experience what they have to offer. And a very long lecture about what they want you to buy while you're there. You know, um, But that's what he's talking about. He's talking about something that Jesus was bringing to them, something that they would be offered, something that was right there. And all they had to do was choose to accept it. And they would experience what God had to offer. So Jesus says to them a message that's a little different than what they were expecting. Because I think that possibly they were expecting the kingdom of heaven to be something very different. Very different. Some um, writers suggest that the kingdom of heaven is simply something in our hearts. That when we choose to follow Jesus, that we make him the king of our hearts. But the Israelite people, they were already doing that. Psalm 37.30 says that the, that the people of Israel were, were putting the law of God on their hearts. So they were already trying to follow the Old Testament, trying to follow the Torah and do what God said for them to do. They were already doing that. So this was something a whole lot more than that. The Jewish people, remember, were under the rule, the rule of the Roman government. Now, he, the Roman government was kind of like a benevolent dictator. They kind of let you do whatever you want to do as long as you didn't make waves. Um, but they were still under someone else's rule and someone else's authority. And so Jesus begins by presenting, by setting the stage, by presenting a message that's a little bit different than what they were used to hearing. I mean, these... He's talking to Jewish people. I mean, they go to temple, they pray, they give to the poor, they follow the law, they do all good things. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I want you to turn completely and go a different direction. Other thing, wait a minute. I thought that, this is the Old Testament, the law, I thought that's what I was supposed to be doing. Jesus says, no, there's something radically different I want you to pursue. And the pursuit of that is tied to my kingdom. It's close. Not only does the message set the stage of what we're going to hear from Jesus as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, but the people who receive it as well. Look in verse 18. Look in verse 18. Um, Jesus lived in the city of Nazareth, the town of Nazareth, not really a city. Um, towns in those days were several, a couple hundred people were the towns in those days. Um, if you look at the map of the Sea of Galilee is here, Nazareth is just south of the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus is just maybe a few miles north. I don't know, five to six miles north. Is that right, Tim? Something like that, you know? Um, Tim travels there frequently and knows that area a little bit quite well. Um, and that's where he's at. And I was thinking about this because as Jesus walking beside the sea, he meets a couple guys who are fishermen. And, and we kind of, upon an initial reading of this, we just assume he meets these guys that they're total strangers. But does anybody remember or recall what Jesus did for a living with his father before he started preaching? Does anybody recall what he did? He was a what? Carpenter, right? He worked with his hands. He built things. And these guys are fishermen, right? And what do fishermen go out in? Boats. Somebody had to build the boats. And there probably wasn't a lot of carpenters. They didn't have the kind of economy we do. There was usually one of each each task and they would supply not only their little village but maybe a couple villages around them with this particular skill there's a good possibility these guys knew exactly who jesus was 
There's also a good possibility that because Jesus at this time was approximately 30 years old and these were young men, probably the ages of 14 to 17, that they knew about him and maybe looked up to him a little bit. Um, in those days, when you turned 13, you were no longer under your mother's care. You were under your father's care, guys. That's the way it happened. And your father's job was either to apprentice you to his skill, his trade, or find someone else that had a skill that maybe didn't have an apprentice, and you would be apprenticed to them. And you would spend the next three to four years learning that skill, learning that trade. And so that's what these men were doing. They were only teenagers. That's when they would be doing these kinds of of jobs. And the Bible tells us they were outside the Sea of Galilee, which is a beautiful location with very mild year-round temperatures. On the east and west side are mountain ranges, and when the, the weather comes in, it rushes down and turns that sea upside down, and stories of Jesus tell us about what can happen when you're out on that sea like that. But he's along this sea, and he sees these guys, and they're throwing their nets out in the water to fish, probably off the shore, and again, upon reading this, and as you read the next verse, verse 19, um, it says, Jesus says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And then they just left everything. They just left everything. Um, if you read in John chapter 1, you get a little bit more of the story. You see, in John chapter 1, immediately after Jesus' baptism, John points out and he says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. These guys hear this, and they go over and they start talking to Jesus. And Jesus says, why don't you come and, come and see? It's the phrase, come and see. And he proceeds to talk to these guys. But they don't follow him at that point in time. And as you start to piece the story together, what you begin to discover is these young guys, they get introduced to Jesus, but they don't buy it right away. And they're like, hmm, I wonder what this guy's all about. Is he the real deal or not? And they take some time to think about it. And it's actually a little bit later when Jesus comes to them and he says, Guys, why don't you come and follow me? Why don't you come and follow me? The next story that, that follows right on the heels of this in verse 20, he now approaches two other young men or excuse me, 21, he now approaches two other young men and, and they're actually there in the boat with their father. And it says that they were preparing their nets. Um, in all likelihood, they had come in from a night of fishing. They would usually fish all night. And I think there's a picture of them that's going to come up here on the screen. And they were now kind of sorting through their nets, finding out where were their holes in the nets and needed to repair, uh, cleaning the nets up, getting them ready for the next day. And so they're actually in the boat with their father very significant that Jesus points out that, that Matthew, when he writes this, says they're there with their father, who they've been apprenticed under. And Jesus says to James and John, come on, guys, let's go. And they're like, see you, Dad. Now, those of us with teenage sons, that's not hard to imagine that happening, you know. <laughs> um, but think about it from the father's perspective. I mean, here's a guy that these are his sons that he's been pouring into, teaching them how to do the family business so that he can kind of enjoy some of his twilight years without the hard work and hard labor, and all of a sudden, they're gone. What do you think they think about Jesus? 
Imagine family gatherings after that experience. You know, thanks for leaving me high and dry, guys, you know. Pour all my life into you and just abandon me for that Jesus guy. And you start to get a glimpse. Remember, we're setting the stage. You're starting to get a glimpse of who the people are that are going to follow Jesus. And what that's going to do in their lives. It's going to disrupt their lives. It's going to turn some things that they thought life had a pattern and we're just following that pattern. And now it's turned upside down. And this isn't the way I thought it was going to go. You know, I wondered, why did these guys respond to Jesus this way? Um... What is it about young men and young women that there's just kind of a fire in their soul that they say, I just want my life to matter. I want to do something. I want to do something. I don't think it's just young men and young women, but theirs is mostly more intense. You know? Why is it that these terrorist groups pursue young adults? For their mission because they know that they're willing to give their lives for something even if it's horrible they're willing to give their lives for something because they want their life to matter I mean you ever find yourself wondering does my life matter more than just getting the lawn mowed one more time or making one more meal or cleaning the dishes one more time or whatever it is that you do every single day or every single week? And Jesus invites people into a journey where their lives get to be about something that matters. He said it to the other guys. He said, fishers of men this isn't just putting a meal on the table. But your life is going to be about something that really matters. You know, in our culture today, to really matter, you become a pro athlete or you pursue a music career or pursue something in politics, something to get your name in lights. But if this last week hasn't taught us anything, it's taught us how quick and how fleeting that is. That one bad decision and one bad choice and it's a train wreck in your life. And I want to challenge our students here, not just our students, but all of us, that when what Jesus is doing, as we're looking at these passages, He's setting the stage for you to consider following Him in a way that your life will matter. That it will matter. Well, Jesus begins to travel. The word about Jesus begins to travel. And as the word about Jesus begins to travel, um, it tells us what he does there in verse 23. And we're going to see this teaching through the synagogues. This is what the Sermon in the Mount is going to be all about, his teaching. Preaching the good news of the kingdom. You say, John, what's the difference between teaching and preaching? Well, teaching is generally around information and preaching is around a response. It's around a response. But for Jesus, they were pretty commingled. We'll talk about that in a minute. And lastly, healing of every disease and sickness among the people. And um, the same verse is actually at the very end of chapter 9 where it summarizes everything that Jesus had been doing. 
But when Jesus taught and preached, he did it a little bit differently. If you have your Bibles, would you just turn to the, to the, a couple pages over to the last part of Matthew chapter 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount? Just turn there. I don't have the verses on the screen, so I'll paraphrase them for you. But if you have a Bible and you're following along, if you just turn to Matthew chapter 7, I believe it's verse 24 and 25, Jesus says this. He's comparing two people, a wise man and a foolish man. He says, the wise man is the one who, he, who listens to my words and does them. And it's like he's building his house upon a rock. And then he says, The foolish man is the one who hears my words and does not do them. It's like he's building his house upon sand. And he goes on to describe what happens to the rock and the sand when the storms of life come. The point I want us to draw attention to is not the foundation, but what they do and don't do. The wise person hears God's word and he does it. He hears it and he doesn't. The foolish person hears it and he doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. And that's really what this whole Sermon on the Mount is going to be about. We're going to go through each section of this sermon and we're going to talk, I'm going to talk to you about it. I'm going to give you some thoughts about it. I'm going to challenge you to think about it. I'm going to challenge you to talk to God and say, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And then for you to do it. For you to do it. We, in our culture today, we sometimes give information, we teach information for things that we're going to learn to do later. We're going to learn to do later. Um, my son was having this debate with his sister about it, something he was having to learn in history class, memorize rivers or something like that. And my daughter is a history teacher, and so she, he says to his sister, why do I have to know this river? How's this river going to help me navigate my life, you know? And, and I don't remember what she said. Maybe she said, you just need to learn it, Daniel. I don't know. That's kind of what I recall. But uh, um, there's a part of our educational system that's kind of like that. You're supposed to learn it, and it'll help you sometime. I'm not sure quite how, but, you know, algebra will be beneficial for you sometime in the future, you know. I don't think it ever helped me. Maybe it did. Maybe someone can help me understand it. But in that culture and in that day... Um, they would only teach things that you needed to know right then and in the moment. That's how they taught. They would teach you what you needed so you could go and do it. And then you would do it over and over and over again, and you would learn it. And so when Jesus is giving us his words, it's not for you to file it away. It's not for you to memorize it and say, maybe for a rainy day. It's not for you to know about it so you can tell someone else about it. It's for you to hear it and for you to say, God, what am I supposed to do? What do you want me to do? And that's what God is calling us to do. Look where it spread in verse 24. It says news about him spread all over Syria. Fascinating. The, the news didn't spread down to Jerusalem and Judea. Oh, it eventually gets there, but the first place the news goes is to Syria. Now, we know a lot about Syria because it's in the news these days. But Syria was a Gentile region of the Middle East. I mean, there were not Jewish people there. Not Jews who read the Old Testament, who went to synagogue, who prayed several times. That's not... No, these are just... They don't care about that God of the heavens. They just live their own lives. But the news about Him spread... And they're like, we've got to meet this guy. And then eventually, it goes on to say in the next verse, verse 25, that eventually spread from Galilee to Decapolis to Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. 
There's a map that's going to come up, just kind of show where that, where that went. All the way, way up north is Decapolis. The first blue circle there is the Sea of Galilee. And then, um, and then the other areas, as the, the arrows come up, will show you where that spread. But it slowly made its way down to what we would know as the heart of Judaism, and that's the city of Jerusalem. But that was one of the last places for it to go. Just reminds us that this message that, that Jesus has, this invitation to follow him, is first of all going to be a message that's going to be slightly different than what we expect. And it's going to go to people that surprise us. And it's going to require something. And it's going to spread in directions we're not expecting it to go. And the question for each of you to ask yourself this morning is, um, where's my heart as it relates to following Jesus? Where's my heart? You know, some of you, your heart may be at a place where, you know, you're here and you're kind of exploring the Jesus thing. Um, you're not following. It's not really on your radar. And Jesus is going to invite you to follow him. Some of you may have prayed a prayer when you were small, and so that's kind of guarantees you've, been told that guarantees you going to heaven but you don't really think about jesus much during the week and you kind of open a bible or listen to it when you're here but it doesn't enter the radar all week long and jesus is going to invite you to follow him some of you are really struggling with jesus right now because you tried to follow him and you feel like you got a raw deal because what you thought you were supposed to follow didn't end up the way you had hoped it would and he's going to invite you to follow him in possibly a very different way than you followed him before and for others of you your heart is at a place where you say God there's nothing more that matters in my life than to follow you and I don't know what that looks like and I don't know what that means but wherever you are leading me I'm willing to go. You see, Jesus is not just inviting you to pray a simple prayer. He's not just inviting you to spend some of your Sunday morning here or to do good things in your community or to become a better person. He's inviting you to make a choice about who's going to be the king of your life. He's inviting you to accept the fact that this is going to cost you something that it could alter the relationships that are closest to you. And it's going to be available to anyone. And you're going to be surprised who receives it. And it give you the opportunity for your life to be radically changed. You know, this morning I'm not going to ask you to do anything right now. I just want you to take something home with you. And um, I want you to to take home these two things. I want to invite you to read the Sermon on the Mount this week a couple of times. It's three chapters, Matthew 5 through 7. Um, carve out a little bit of time, probably take you 10 or 15 minutes. I don't challenge you every time you read it to say, God, am I willing to do whatever it is that you want me to do? Be honest about your heart. Be honest where you are with this invitation he's offering to you this morning. I want to invite you to bow your heads 
And just take a moment and meet with God. Um, as I was talking about where you are in relationship to following Jesus, maybe it was pretty clear. You know where you are. Um, just be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. Um, this is about your heart. You're the only one who knows it. Don't try to make it up. If you're not sure, say, what do my actions show? What would someone watching me say? Just admit to God, even though I think I want to, my actions do not say that that is true of me. Maybe for you today, you just start by being honest with God. God, as we look at these things that, these events that seem to be maybe at initial glance just on the surface about what this relationship with you is, what following you is all about, it really gives us a glimpse. Um, it sets the stage, if you will, for what's coming. A message that might be different than we thought it would be. Um, people who get invited to follow Jesus, not what I thought was going to happen. maybe more than anything a calling and a direction in my life that he gives me a nudge to that was not at all what I thought was going to take place Lord even just this morning hearing Claire's story of where you gave him a nudge last year and what you did in his life is just cool to hear and sometimes you do that God Sometimes you give us a nudge to hard places, difficult places. And um, Father, I pray this morning that we would be willing today and throughout this week to closely examine our hearts. Closely say, where am I at today? Where am I at this week in my willingness to follow Jesus? God, help us to be honest and help us to face these things and walk into them and um, pursue you this week. We need your help doing it, God, because we can't do it on our own. In your name, amen. Jeremy.